Hi there. Welcome back to Sunday School. I'm Mike Statham. What is your Christian identity? We live in a time when self-identification has become a very big issue. People will say, I identify with this group, I identify with that group, and we've taken it upon ourselves to want to present ourselves to the world, not as people want to define us, but as we want to define ourselves. And certainly, being Christian uh, is part of our identity, those of us who do identify as Christians. Um, When we are asked that question, sometimes we use shorthand. We say, well, I'm a Methodist, or name whatever branch of Christianity we belong to. But basically, we identify as Christians. Now, in the first century, the beginning of the Christian church, this was a very, very big deal. The first group of people who identified as Christians, of course, uh, also identified as Hebrews. They were uh, the Jews, the people who had been the chosen people of God. They had accepted a different way of looking at their relationship with God, and they claimed their Christianity. Not long after that, the Gentiles got into the act, and it wasn't long before, frankly, uh, they outnumbered the Jews quite uh, to quite a large extent. They also found a new identity. They had identified perhaps with the various pagan religions of the day around the Roman Empire, and now they're going to identify as followers of Jesus. And this was a fairly uh, easy thing for them to get into. Uh, They had to accept the basic tenets of the Christian faith. Um, And today we're going to be looking at that selection, self-selection really, to become part of the Christian world. We're in the book of First Peter. Now, of course, this is one of three fairly short epistles written by, we believe, Peter the Apostle, uh, the Apostle to whom Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom. And he is very interested in this Christian identity. But one part of being identified with a group of people or with a movement or with a particular train of thought, whatever it is, is going to be our behavior. And just because a person would say he or she was a Christian, Peter was very much concerned with the kind of life that person was living. And we're in the second chapter of First Peter, and he's going to begin by laying out some ground rules that would probably eliminate at least some of the people who might have wanted to identify as Christians. We begin reading with the first verse of chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the first thing Peter is asking the uh, newly minted Christians to do is to turn away from the things that are still quite common in society today. You probably don't have to go very far, maybe just turn on the television or radio or go on the internet at some point to see all sorts of malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Uh, This sounds very 21st century when you go through this. But these are the kinds of things that the Apostle Peter is asking the people to turn away from. And then he uses an extended metaphor. 
uh, those of us who've taught English for many years love metaphors, because basically what they do is they take these spiritual concepts, these ideas that are sometimes kind of hard to really get a handle on, and we put them into language. We, we relate them to things that we can identify with. And what is more easily identifiable than a hungry baby? A baby that wants milk, a baby that's hungry, is going to let you know very quickly that it is hungry. And uh, by the time a baby starts getting the milk, starts feeding, the sense of contentment, happiness, fulfillment, uh, that's the, the thing that Peter is trying to compare our desire for spiritual learning to. Because we have tasted, we know that what God is offering us tastes good by using one of the other physical senses here, the sense of taste. And so that would make us want this even more. So we begin with this, and now he goes to a different metaphor, which is how the church, how the group of Christians has been built up. And remember, the name Peter means rock. Uh, uh, His original name was Simon. Jesus gave him the name Peter because upon this rock, I will build my church. So it's no surprise that beginning with verse four, he's going to go into the metaphor that's pretty much named for him or he's named for it. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here he is, the rock, Peter, saying that the real rock or foundation, the cornerstone of the church is Jesus, and that the people who are within the church are like living stones, building up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. This is another concept uh, that Peter brings to us in this, making spiritual sacrifices. Now, last week we were uh, in the book of Leviticus, and we were talking about another group of holy people, the, the Jews at the time, who were learning how to worship God in a way that made God happy. God was setting them apart to be holy. Uh, they couldn't just take their relationship with God for granted. They also had to perform these sacrifices. And so this is kind of a, this is reminiscent of what we read last week in uh, in Leviticus from what uh, Peter is telling us here. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That quote happens to come from Isaiah. And of course, at the time, uh, Isaiah was prophesying a particular event that would happen within the time of the Old Testament. But we as Christians also see this as relating to the Christian era in which we live today, that Jesus is that cornerstone. Now, I don't know much about building anything, really, but I do know enough to know that where you put that cornerstone, where the foundation of a building is put, is vitally important. Once you have set a cornerstone, once you set a foundation, that's where that building is going to be pretty much until it's torn down. Or in the rare case of some of the old houses, you sometimes see people trying to lift up and take down the interstate. But for the most part, when you put a cornerstone down, that's where that building is going to be as long as that building is going to be there. 
And this is a cornerstone that had been rejected by some, but that God had accepted. And those who accept this cornerstone are not going to be rejected by God. They don't have to fear the embarrassment of following in the wrong path. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. So again, Peter is talking about the duality, accepting the message of Christ or rejecting the message of Christ. In one case, you would see the cornerstone as being a foundational item, something that's going to give you comfort and strength. In the other case, it's a stumbling block. It's something that you just can't deal with that's going to cause you to fall in some way. He continues in the second part of the cha- of verse 8 here. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, when we talk about the chosen people, of course, the first group of people we think about are the Hebrews. God called them, beginning with Abraham. They were born into the called nation. As Christians, we feel we are called to be part of that group, the group of Christians. So we are also a chosen people, not chosen by race or by birth, but by our obedience to Christ. So that's the the play on words that Peter is using here. A royal priesthood. The priests in the Old Testament, their job was to make sure that the nation of Israel followed the co- the codes, the precepts, the laws of God, and would bring humans closer to God. Well, that's part of what our job is. A holy nation, that is a group of people set apart for a holy purpose, a purpose of serving God. A people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once again, Peter, throughout his entire epistle here, and all three of them, uh, is going to use the, the contrast between light and dark, good and evil, being comforted or stumbling. Those are the kinds of contrasts that he's going to draw here. And we have been drawn into the place of light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So now we have identified ourselves with this movement. We've identified ourselves with Christ. And in order to continue that uh, connection, in order to live up to what we are claiming, to the identity that we claim, we have to live in a certain way. This does not contradict Paul's notion throughout the New Testament of being saved by faith. That's where it all begins. But Peter is very practical, just as James was when we studied his epistle a few weeks ago. He sees this as being proof of our holiness, so that our identity, if we're going to claim Christianity as that identity, is going to be a hallmark. People are going to see it in the way we talk, in the way we live, 
whether or not we write it down on a piece of paper somewhere or check a box to claim this identity, it's going to be the kind of thing that people are going to notice. And they're going to say, yes, that person could identify, should identify as being part of the Christian movement. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for choosing us, for letting us be part of the chosen people. Help us indeed to live up to the call of being a royal priesthood that we may serve you in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen.